Hello, I'm Yud. And I'm Sean. And welcome to The Abyss. In this week's episode, we're going to be discussing Tory infighting, uh, <laughs> partying chaos, one might say. It's all sounding very familiar. <laughs> yes, and... Uh, and then we're going to move on to something slightly more light-hearted. We're going to discuss uh, issues surrounding gender equality, uh, specifically regarding one of the most important and culturally relevant figures in modern Britain. The Conservative Party have been at each other's throats. Last week we discussed who would be the possible successor to Theresa May mm-hmm. and to some extent the time scale that that might happen on. And when we recorded that episode and when we published that episode, that was a idea largely following on from the general election. But this week we've had quite a bit of Tory infighting. We have. Last Tuesday... So that would be Tuesday the 11th. Yeah. There was a Tory cabinet meeting. There was clearly much division amongst the several groups of the party, all of whom have their own candidate looking to become leader. We discussed those groups last time. And several reports were leaked from the meeting about Chancellor Philip Hammond mm-hmm. and some comments that he made during the meeting. The first of which, which didn't strike me as being particularly relevant, as it was largely unsubstantiated, but in regard to the public sector pay rise, and specifically with rail, Philip Hammond reportedly said that driving a modern train was so easy that even a woman could do it. So these are allegations, they're not... Substantiated, substantiated uh, comments. The second uh, claim was the one that Philip Hammond said that public sector workers were overpaid. Yes. Uh, obviously, this is relating to the 1% pay cap on public sector workers, which Jeremy Hunt and some other MPs that yeah. with him were trying to push for, okay, lifting the freeze on public sector pay rises. And Hammond said on the Andrew Marshall that since 2008, public sector workers have been better paid than private sector workers working at the same level or in the same kind of job. I was reading around this. It's a dodgy number. Uh, The fact that he's coming out defending this stance, though, is surprising um, and I think really shows the big rift in the Tories at the moment, which is... The ones who are, we need to stand behind the leader and do everything that is asked of us and, you know, just keep our heads below the water for a bit. And this active group who see May as poisonous and want her gone as soon as possible so they can adopt a few more Jeremy Corbyn light policies and start pushing back against what they see as a horrendous electoral force. So what do we what do we think the future looks like for Theresa May at present? So the vote of no confidence that's been drawn up would be... Apparently. Yeah, there's allegedly <laughs> been drawn up. Um, I, I have no real doubts that somebody somewhere has... No, I'm... I'm I has, would... has put, well, put the idea to their friends, look, we need to start thinking yeah, about it, this. 
It wouldn't surprise me if there were quite a number of different drafts of said letter on a number of different computers. Uh, yes, and they need... So, you know, they're being quietly circulated so people can come to terms with the idea of it, and it'll be interesting to see who are behind these drafts. Uh, Boris Johnson, Michael Gove, Philip Hammond, David Davis, all names that are being mentioned. Yeah. If well, any of those people are suitable for leadership. Exactly. This is the issue that the Tories are coming up against, is that up until now, the front bench have been relatively strong behind May because they don't particularly want to rock the boat. They are in pretty high positions and they'd probably quite like to stay there. So David Davis, Philip Hammond, Boris Johnson, they've all immediately after the election voiced their support for Theresa May and sort of didn't say much more. Now they are in the difficult position of trying to maintain a strong and stable front bench with backbenchers starting to approach them about possibly standing in a leadership election. So it'll be very interesting to see which of them tries to support May and tries to overcome this potential coup that might be coming their way and which of them does a Michael Gove and stabs her in the back. It may well be Michael Gove himself. It may well be, yes. He's back in the cabinet, although he is definitely by no means friendly of any of the leadership. Uh, I think Michael Gove's chances are pretty slim, given how few friends he has left. Yeah, I mean, this is true. I mean, the response to all of the leaks and to the leadership challenges uh, is twofold. Publicly, the Conservatives who, you know, want to see the current leadership stay and at least get through the ugliest time of Mm. the leadership... uh, say publicly that what we don't need now is troublemakers. What we need now is Brexit-minded MPs. Uh, Anybody who is thinking about Tory internal politics isn't just a bad person for being disloyal. They're a bad person for not caring enough about Brexit. Uh, But the only way I read that is those people who are causing internal trouble aren't scared of Jeremy Corbyn enough. Yeah. So I was reading in the New Statesman, I read this in The Guardian, The Times and The Telegraph. So I'm going to assume that it's fairly reliable, uh, but everybody in the Conservative Party is scared of Jeremy Corbyn at the moment. People who hate May and think that she is, you know, dire... The only thing they hate more is the idea of a snap general election. Um, And I think this is why if they have a vote of no confidence, it will be during the summer recess. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because if it's during the summer recess, the Labour Party can't call for another general election until the point where things are coming together. Yes. And remember... Theresa May didn't have to stand in a leadership election. She was essentially coronated. Yeah. If the Tories pull that together again, and then we have another three, four weeks without the Commons sitting, when they return, the idea that Jeremy Corbyn can say, your party's a complete shambles and in chaos, 
we need another general election immediately. It's one thing when we do it, when we're the opposition, you are the government and you can't decide who's running the country. Yeah. But if they come back, they have a leader who's, you know, knocks it out of the park about first PMQs, who looks like they have, or they, they stand uncontested or fairly uncontested to get a healthy majority of votes to win that leadership election, uh, then maybe Jeremy Corbyn can't force another I mean, general election. Yeah, so I think this is the main reason why um, Theresa May still has a job, is because that day after the election, the Tory party had to make a decision between getting rid of this arguably poisonous individual who is who is blighting their party, but then risk immediately offering another general election um, and losing it. Yeah. And they went for another option, which was to just keep hold of power and we'll deal with her later sort of thing. The issue I have with the the potential set of events that you just outlined is that I cannot think of any Conservatives who would be able to meet the requirements that you just Put forward. I can't think of any high-profile members, at the very least, who would be massively uncontested and who I would be confident could knock it out of the park at PMQs and walk straight into the job and, and do it very well. Certainly of the main people who have been mentioned, Michael Gove, I don't think, stands a chance. He's got far too many enemies in the party. Boris Johnson is just a bit too scatterbrained I don't think also uh, Bojo internally he's also everything I've read the Tories basically see him as dead in the water yeah he's not the most popular we're left with Philip Hammond and David Davis of the names Philip Philip Hammond Hammond also doesn't stand a chance I don't know how the parliamentary conservative party think of him or um, what they think of him but certainly the wider public don't really think about him much the only name that potentially could carry some weight into the fray would be David Davis, but I think he might be a bit busy. Uh, during the sort of recess, there will be one Brexit negotiation meeting in Brussels. So if he's trying to curry favour and isn't seen to be putting everything towards exactly. that Brexit negotiation... If he was in any other ministerial position... I'd say, yeah, he's going to go for it and he's probably going to do quite well. But as the Brexit secretary, if he makes any sort of noises that would indicate anything less than 100% devotion to getting a good deal from the EU, his popularity is going to sink like the Titanic. Remember when Boris Johnson was on course to maybe become leader last time round? He got stabbed fantastically by Michael Gove. <laughs> if David Davis is the front runner, and maybe somebody stands against him, uh, I've heard a few people say the name Amber Rudd, but obviously because her seat is uh, a marginal now, many yeah. people don't think she's a contender. But yeah, so say, say somebody stands against him, there is some opposition. All it takes is that person to smear his name a little too much, or somebody prominent who's backs him to defect, 
muddy the waters when they do, Jeremy Corbyn can look like the only suitable Prime Minister this country has. Yes. And I'll bring attention to it. It kind of, It's tangential, but I think it's important. Labour backbencher Chukar Amuna <laughs> has been troublemaking. Yes. Ever since... Uh, A little bit, yeah. If you follow him on Twitter or Facebook, he's constantly posting things that are solidly against the Labour Party line. He has formed a cross-party committee to make towards the softest Brexit possible. He instigated a vote on single market membership and membership of the customs union, which was against party lines and yep. tried to encourage Labour backbenchers to defect, largely unsuccessfully. But at every possible opportunity, he has been a very effective backbencher, trying to cause trouble for the leadership, trying to make life as difficult for Jeremy Corbyn as possible, which many would argue is his job. Yeah. But he's been doing it very well. <laughs> it's it's imaginable that he gains some momentum, ironically, uh, and causes upset for Jeremy Corbyn when Jeremy Corbyn needs to be yeah. the s- strongest, stablest leader. Uh, <laughs> but he has been largely alone when yeah. he does all of this. There are very, very few Labour backbenchers think who are willing to get on board. Most of Labour realise that they all have to be prepared to take the opportunity to seize power if it presents itself. And more and more of them have been realising this. They've been looking out for that opportunity ever since the election. It hasn't quite shown itself yet but this unrest surrounding Theresa May having come to a head people actually starting to take action clearly the dislike for Theresa May and the way she is running things is starting to outweigh the risk of handing power to Labour for a lot of the Conservative Party and that presents as you say Jeremy Corbyn with a genuine opportunity to really hammer home to the British public Look at what a mess your government is. They can't even decide who's going to lead the country. Especially if David Davis starts to make moves towards a leadership. Jeremy Corbyn has then got two major conservatives who he can point at and say, these people are not doing their job. They are power grabbing. They're paying £1.2 billion to keep 10 Downing Street, stuff like that. And he can really hammer them. And he can genuinely shake things up to the point where he might, step over and go to the other side of the house, which would be quite impressive. And, I mean, uh, the papers are with him more than they've ever been before. Yes. Uh, the Jeremy Corbyn's popularity continues to rise. Uh, there have been occasionally a poll that's slightly unfavourable for him, but everything I've read seems to say that he is just as popular as the current leader, and obviously the second that campaigning happens, the second the Tories start looking weaker that only gets better for him. If anybody on the right wing of the Labour Party at the moment has the slightest inkling that they might fancy a leadership challenge, not looking at anybody Chuck or Abuna, <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn is the most popular politician in British politics. He will continue to be. And anybody who wants to upset the apple cart and disrupt what could be a 
pre- very profitable future for the Labour Party. Uh, if they did that, they need to be prepared for the largest public lynching. Yeah, imaginable. Yeah, I think um, anybody that comes forward and tries to tries to stick it to Corbyn at this point is it's a suicide mission. They they don't really stand a chance. Yeah, uh, unless they all they if, serve to do is harm the party. Yeah, if unless they have a massive bit of intel on Corbyn that nobody else has ever mentioned or found, they don't stand a chance. And um, Corbyn's track record for voting, Corbyn's past as a student, everything has already been thrown at him. So the the ammunition against Corbyn ran out a number of months ago. So um, he is currently in, in one of the strongest positions we've seen a politician in for quite some time. Yeah, the only way Corbyn loses now is if by the time that the general election comes around, and this is years in the future, he looks stale and boring. Yeah. The Tories managed to have somebody who's compelling for once. Yes. I don't see the Liberal Democrats ever doing anything interesting, <laughs> um, especially not until they have some serious movements to replace their, in, everybody who was ever in coalition. But I think you say Corbyn might get stale until a, a few years in the future, but it, it's worth pointing out that I personally, I don't know about you, don't think we're going to wait until 2022 for an election. I suspect there will be one before that. I don't necessarily think it will be in the next few months. Could be, but I'm not sure. But I certainly don't think it's going to be five years from now. Interestingly, in 2022, Jeremy Corbyn is 73 years old. (laughs) Okay. If it comes to 2022, when Jeremy Corbyn has been leader of the Labour Party for seven years, when Jeremy Corbyn is a 73-year-old man, he doesn't have the appeal that he has now. No. And all it takes is the Conservatives not to tear themselves apart, which they're normally quite good at doing. (laughs) But it can go wrong for the Tories dramatically. The only thing that can happen to Corbyn is that he becomes slightly less attractive. He gets old, is is what can happen to Corbyn. (laughs) so, So, you know, even if they push it, five years, four years before they have a general election, Jeremy Corbyn will almost certainly still be the most attractive candidate. Thank you for downloading this episode of The Political Abyss. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this in the future, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and follow us on SoundCloud. There you'll be able to find our back catalogue as well. We're on iTunes and we're looking forward to moving on to more podcast platforms in the future, as well as bringing you brand new podcasts like PA Explains, which will be debuting soon. Sean will give us a purely educational view of British politics and how it works, as well as other projects soon to be announced. Thank you for listening. Back on of the episode. So moving on to something slightly more light-hearted. We mentioned at the start that we were going to talk about uh, issues regarding gender equality, specifically uh, with reference to one of the most important um, and culturally relevant figures in modern Britain. We refer, of course, to the Doctor from Doctor Who. Yes. Uh, it... 
Normally, we don't discuss things like that. We no. talked about the Bake Off before. We did, but it was yeah. more of a tangent than it was. It a, was, a, yeah. A it section. wasn't a planned section, certainly. Um, but this this time around, uh, it's it's a slow week. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk uh, some Doctor Who. I uh, think yeah. it's fair to say there are a lot of people who haven't watched the show for yes a number for of quite years. some time. But it's still a British institution, very much so. Yes, I think. Um, and I mean, we are a politics podcast, so some of the listeners may be rather confused that we are talking about a sci-fi TV show. But actually, it's not directly a political issue, but it's an issue that is definitely important regarding gender equality, which is a, a very important political issue at the moment. So, for those of you that are not aware or don't watch Doctor Who, it was announced on Sunday that the next Doctor, who is the 13th incarnation of the character, will be female. Yes. And will be played by actress Jodie Whittaker. Uh, This is the first time the Doctor has been female. Stephen Moffat did set the precedent for gender swapping during regenerations of characters. Yes. uh, Twice during his reign um, as the showrunner. So this is not a surprise in the fictional universe, as it were. Um, It has, however surprised a surprisingly large number of fans and viewers um, some of whom are um, making all sorts of arguments backed up by going back to episodes about 20 years ago that the doctor is male and should stay male Ewan what are your thoughts on the matter yeah I'm definitely fine with it I think that it's I mean (laughs) never in a million years am I going to be part of the camp of people who thinks that an alien who can change every facet of their being can't change their sex I think that this is also just an incredibly smart move Uh, they've got the new showrunner Chris Chibnall's coming in he's a very fun writer Mm mm-hmm for the most part, he can write. He wrote Broadchurch, which is definitely not a fun show, but he uh, everything he's done for Doctor Who has largely been very entertaining. He'll be the new. Jodie Whittaker, incidentally, was also in Broadchurch, so yeah. Brought... And so you know, fresh writer, fresh show. It's going to be brand new, uh, and Doctor Who has been slowly dwindling in popularity. It has. We are of a certain age where, when Doctor Who relaunched, we were at the peak time to be affected by it when we were young early teenagers probably so you know we adored it yes and now you know our generation or our group of people are stopping watching it and the viewing figures have just dropped a bit the first episode of series 13 or of this 13th doctor yeah is going to be a unbelievably viewed episode. Yes, it's going to have viewing <laughs> figures that are through the roof. Yeah, also the Christmas special, which I mean always gets very oh, yeah. good yeah, for, yeah. For viewing figures, but with the first appearance of the female Doctor, that, that's going to be monumental as well. You know, she is a brilliant actress. The number of articles I have seen written about this in the past it's... 48 hours is ridiculous. Yes, it's, it's a... The journalists have really grabbed onto it. And I this think... was announced at the end of Wimbledon. It was, yes. Do you know who won Wimbledon? Because I have no I didn't idea. read an article no, about it. I have it. absolutely no idea who won Wimbledon. I read... But... Oh, actually, I do. It was Roger Federer, and he oh, broke okay. all, um, the world record for most 
Wimbledon victories of any man. Uh, Good for him. So he, you know, trying to make this vaguely political so that it does fit in with the general theme of the political abyss. Um, I've seen a few comments that have been discussing the fact that the BBC is being accused of making moves like this just to fulfil some sort of political correctness quota. One way to look at this is to go, yeah, okay, fine. Perhaps choosing to cast a, a woman as the Doctor was very a very significant political move and a statement by the BBC. But the key thing is that it doesn't matter. <laughs> the BBC are first and foremost... Uh, a content creator, and they need their content to be viewed. That's just how their industry works. And this is going to get them views. This is... We we like to think of the BBC, or people like to think of the BBC, as this benevolent entity that was created by the people through our taxes, and it should do exactly what everybody wants at all times. No, it's a business. It is a business, it's a company, and it follows the same paths of through the industry as every other business. The fact that it's funded by the taxpayer changes it slightly, but they still need views, they still need to create content that gets people interested. And as you and rightly said, the Christmas special and the first episode with the 13th Doctor are going to get massive viewing figures, and a lot of those viewing figures, or well, some of those viewing figures, will be people who hate the idea of a female Doctor, yeah. and they will be watching to pick holes. But they will still be watching. Uh, the they will still count every single towards episode, the view count. Every single episode of the video series will be coupled with streams, thousands of tweets of people protesting, complaining, like upset about the whole thing yeah. every time and it will just make sure that every episode of Doctor Who trends on Twitter. Exactly. <laughs> it, it, this is this is a perfect example of the BBC know, knowing full well that something will cause certain groups of society to get very upset and using that to their advantage in a massive way. Because they are they're running this on the old adage that all press is good press. There are calls from some people that say things like, oh, it's nice, you've got another skinny white person to play the role. Mm. Uh, tell me when you've done something interesting. Okay, Doctor Who, compared to almost any other British TV show, does a fairly good job of representing yeah. wide amounts, especially if you look at the early Russell T. Davis stuff, gender, class... And racial groups were all represented. One of the main characters in the latest series is is a mixed race lesbian. Yeah. Um, you know, yes, it's a small change. It actually means almost nothing. Yeah. This is purely, I don't know, it's purely a media attention grab. I mean, um, I, well, it's worth pointing out that... I'm, and she's a good actress as well. Yeah, this is the thing, is that it... it it may well be a, a media attention grab, and I'm sure it will be a very effective one. But we're not saying that the BBC are just just casting a female actress for that reason. They're casting a female actress because she's good at her job. Yeah, She's going to do a good job. By all accounts, 
She was fantastic in Broadchurch, and there is no conceivable reason why she won't do a, an amazing job as the Doctor. And after Peter Capaldi's very serious, very Scottish old man yeah. um, vibe, she's going to attract a whole different group of people. But the key thing here, and the key point that we wanted to make, is that from a political point of view, the fact that the BBC possibly are trying to fulfill a certain level of political correctness doesn't really matter the point is is that the person who's got the job will be good at it and that's all the viewers should really care about yeah um so i look forward to seeing what the new series is going to be like um i very much look forward to seeing what it's going to be like with the new writer as well as a female doctor but i actually think the new writer is more important yeah for the content it will be the first series of doctor who that i actually have watched as it comes out for a long time yeah so even i think the last series of that smith which must be like three or four ago i don't think i stuck with i think there'll be a lot of people like me who were big fans of it before. Yeah, and and we'll we'll come back to it. So, um, on the off chance that anybody of any significance ever hears this, congratulations, Jodie Whittaker. We very much look forward to seeing what you do with the role. And as for those people who um, are kicking up a fuss about Jodie Whittaker having been cast, we strongly disagree with you. But thank you for listening to The Abyss. Anyway, uh, we very much appreciate it. And we will speak to you next Tuesday. Thank you very much. Goodbye.